to Christ in Every Word, podcast of the Concordia Bible Institute, housed on the beautiful campus of Concordia University, Wisconsin. This is your opportunity to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the sacred scriptures with me, Dr. Brian German, Associate Professor of Theology here at the University and the Director of the Concordia Bible Institute. We are cruising through the book of Revelation, the Apocalypse of St. John. Chapter 8 is on the docket today. What a doozy we've been through. Chapter 7, again, was one of the top 40 texts, number 40 of the top 40. The 144,000, the countless multitude uh, singing praises to the Lamb. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. We get a picture there of the one church that lives in heaven and earth at the same time. One church, one Lord, one baptism. Talked about the garments, the sealing on the forehead, received the sign of the cross both upon the forehead and upon the heart and so on. That's chapter 7. But then when chapter 8 carries on, we're we're back to the seals. You Remember, we haven't opened the seventh seal yet. We've had six of the seven, but then classic uh, Revelation style is that you pause and you have a little interlude between the sixth and the seventh. And that's what happened. And so you have this, the whole thing, by the way, Revelation's very cyclical, and you get this idea that the first sixth of the groups of sevens is kind of like, this is the age of the church. Think six days of creation and the final seventh resting, culminating day. The first six, the stuff that's going on, Uh, right now in the church throughout all times and places. And then at the same time, you get the seventh where that's the kind of the culmination of all things, you might say. Well, (laughs) John, again, this book is so uh, cyclical in that in this case, we'll see in chapter eight, the seventh seal leads into another group of sevens, and that is seven trumpets. So it's a kind of way to highlight like, here's here's the end and yet, oh, no, it's kind of a new beginning, and it's both at the same time. It's basically like saying uh, we are in the end times right now, even though there will be a final end time. So at the cross, you see all these, it is the end, it's done. The cross is, you're looking at the last day at the cross, even as we're waiting for the last day. It's that kind of thing throughout Revelation 2. So in chapter 8 here, we're going to see what happens when these seventh, when this seven, the seventh seal is open and these seven trumpets start firing up. Uh, we're just going to cover the first four trumpets. Again, this is kind of a standard way of proceeding here in Revelation. And then we'll, uh, the fifth and the, uh, the sixth are covered in chapter 9. So we'll do that another time. But here we go. The text of Revelation 8 reads as follows. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayer of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. 
A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Alrighty, so there we have the text of Revelation chapter 8. I think I've mentioned this before. It is just as John usually gives you the first six of something before uh, an interlude or you have this, you know, kind of dramatic um, unfolding of something before the seventh, so also does he usually lump the first four together before you have a longer attention on the fifth and the sixth. We saw this already with the seals. When you open the fifth seal, there's this, you know, people under the altar, and there's kind of a longer description. Same with the sixth seal. Um, And so same here. I think that also is a way to cover your grounds. I think that's also a way to say, The first four are lumped together to say this is a global thing. North, south, east, west. Four in Revelation is very much a kind of um, all-encompassing, all-directions, global, worldwide kind of phenomenon. And I think to to group the four is is one way of gesturing at that. Okay, so first things first is the – uh, this trumpet stuff is totally connected to the seal stuff. And we get that right in the very first clause here. When the lamb opened uh, the seventh seal. And so that connects everything in this chapter to, remember, it's the lamb who opens his scriptures. When you go to church, Christ, the risen Christ, is the teacher of his church. He is the liturgist. He is the one teaching and preaching. And these trumpets I take to be as a kind of proclamation, a blasting, if you will, of that very word. As the word goes forth, this is what happens. And these trumpets uh, extend, uh, as it were, that word going forth, which again is connected to the lamb as the one who is uh, not only the content, but also the one who opens the seals. Here it's interesting. There was silence in heaven for half an hour. I love this intro because it's like, again, this is a very liturgical kind of thing. Silence in the Bible happens when God is doing something for, he's about to do something for his people. I think of uh, the end of Habakkuk 2, um, Let's see, Zechariah 2. Also, we have these moments where it's, hush, let everybody be silent before him. The Lord is in his temple. He's about to do something on behalf of his people. I guess you get that a little bit at the Exodus, the Red Sea, too. Let everybody just be silent and wait for this, the work of the Lord to unfold before us. He is performing an exodus here from sin, death, and the devil. It takes place in his liturgy. Have you ever wondered why we have moments of silence? I mean, something continues even today. Confession and absolution, you look at the little, I mean, so many of our, our orders of divine service, what does it say? A brief moment of silence to reflect on 
right? To re- reflect on our sins, to reflect on the need for forgiveness. Um, here we have this silence lasting in heaven for a half hour. Nobody's saying anything. I mean, this is a loaded, uh, the book, of course, loaded with singing, and we got harps we're going to see, and a new song, and so you have music and singing and voices all over the place, loud voices all over the book of Revelation, and here it's silence. That has a role also. It gets you reflecting on things. It gets you contemplating. It gets you also thinking about the significance of speech and speaking and how God works through speech. So there's silence in heaven for a half hour, which is to say not the full thing. Revelation elsewhere talks quite a bit about the hour, the hour that is to come, the final hour. Um, half hour is, I, I guess, I mean, it only occurs here. I think the thing is uh, that it's not the full span of time. There's a time for silence. And uh, this is something, again, that would have rooted the book, that would have rooted this content even right here, right now in the church throughout all times and places. We still do this in our liturgy. There's silence. And then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Um, This is a huge moment because here we have, for the first time, seven angels... Um, when you see this, well, not first time, sorry, I should say we had this already in chapter one, uh, as a kind of the son of man vision, he has the seven angels in his, in his hands. Uh, the seven angels show up in these groups of sevens, seven with the seventh seal. We have now seven trumpets. We're going to see these seven angels again later. They occur when there are these groups of sevens happening in the book. I think, and nowhere else, and I think that's hugely important. I take them to be, they are a very ministerial group. I take them as representative of the office of the holy ministry. The Lord has them in his hand. We saw this already in chapter one. He cued us up right at the beginning to say, when you see these seven angels, they are in my hand, I work through them. They stand in my stead and by my command, by the way. Uh, This language of standing, by the way, is very... Rich, we saw this in our last podcast in chapter 7. Who is able to stand? Well, before God, these angels are standing. And that is in the stead and by the command of that standing lamb that we saw in chapter 5. And it was given to them seven trumpets, and that's exactly the voice of the Son of Man, is is how that's described in chapter 1. A voice like a trumpet, it's like, Whoa, trumpets, they're going to sound like the lamb. They're going to talk like the lamb, preach like the lamb, teach like the lamb. Again, stand in the stead and by the command of the lamb. And so this seven angel business is a very ministerial kind of business. We'll say more about that as we as we go along. Uh, then another angel came and stood, yeah, another standing language, at the altar Um. With a golden censer, he was given much incense to offer with the prayer of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. Uh, And the smoke of the incense with the prayer of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. This is a lot going on here. First things first, I guess that's when you hear this language of another angel. Again, this is a very, elsewhere in the book we'll see another angel. It's sometimes dressed or... Again, acting, behaving very much like the Son of Man. It's a very Christ-like figure. Another angel um, standing before this altar, which is exactly where the p- 
prayers of the saints were coming from. Remember, how long, O, o sovereign God, before you judge and avenge those who took our blood? Um, this another angel came and stood at the altar. You get the sense of, wait a minute, altar again, liturgy connection with a golden censer. And this censer is then what? Much incense to offer with the prayer of all the saints. Why do we have incense? You ever thought about that? It's one thing. So we have prayers of the saints. I love this connection is that John sees this liturgical activity connected to the prayers of the saints. And not only that, but it's also incense. Sound familiar? Of why, why do we why can't we just have prayer and yet here this prayer is mixed with incense. You have the word, these prayers, but also a physical tangible element. And this is the kind of thing that we have again, baptism, water and word communion, bread, and wine. We have this, uh, again, even in liturgies today, the usage of incense. It goes back to the Psalms, let my prayers rise before you as incense. So there is this, again, uh, prayer in a liturgical setting, prayer with liturgical elements. And uh, I love the language of the smoke of the incense with the prayer of the saints. You have this both word and element together, very sacramental, again, very rooted right here, right now, even in the church of all times and places, um, went up before God. I love this before the throne language is exactly where the spirit and the water are, are also. So again, you have this, like, it's like the prayers of the baptized with the incense, the smoke goes up, smoke in the book of Revelation, there are two different kinds of smoke. One is God's glory, God's presence. Think like Mount Sinai, um, Isaiah 6, the glory fills the temple. The other smoke is idolatrous glory. We're going to see this in chapter 9. But there are two smokes in Revelation. There's You're either chasing after the smoke of God's presence in the place where his glory dwells, that is, in the divine service, right here, right now, or it's an idolatrous smoke, an idolatrous glory that goes up from the abyss. We'll see that later. Um, I love this language of prayer of the saints, too, because I probably mentioned this, but the language of saints in the book of Revelation is both uh, believers in the church militant and in the church triumphant. So there's this heaven and earth connection going on as well. Um, these The smoke went up. The prayers of the saints from the hand of the angel, which is um, what? It's mediated. Let's rise and, praise, uh, and pray for the whole company of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. The pastor offers up the prayers of the church that have been gathered together. Um, those in the hospital and so on. These prayers go by way of the hand of the angel. I think this is a very liturgical. And again, this is all silence. Um. At this moment, nobody's talking, nobody's saying anything, which I suppose, I mean, that's the other thing too. Um, like a lamb that has led to the slaughter, so he opened not his mouth. A sheep before his shears is silent. On the cross, darkness from the sixth hour to ninth hour, nobody said anything that's recorded there. Not only darkness for three hours, but silence. Silence, nobody's recording any speech. Here, we're just watching. It's kind of, I don't know, maybe the offering there's movement around the altar. 
liturgical movement, uh, John sees this as well, and I think it roots all of this in the church, uh, the church's divine service, the Lord's divine service here and uh, and throughout the history of the church. So what else? By the hand of the angel, and then um, the angel takes and uh, what? I'm trying to look at the original here. He takes the censer and fills it with fire from the altar. Um, this is kind of an amazing thing because this fire, we've seen this with the Son of Man. We've seen this with the Spirit. Fire in Revelation, judgment, but also kind of purifying as the word goes forth, it's going to burn. I mean, the thing is, it's going to, what, purify, convict sin, but at the same time, uh, it's going to refine and make pure. Um, fire of the altar, and he threw it upon the earth, and there are thunders and sounds and lightning and an earthquake. It reminds me of Sinai. It reminds me, this was also in chapter 4, God's heavenly throne room. Again, this is what is being brought to earth with the preaching of the word with the administration of the sacraments. Uh, when you see the divine service happening, this is also what's happening even right here, right now, the kingdom of heaven coming among us. We'll have more to say about that as we go along, but uh, we got to take a quick break and we'll pick it up with the uh, first four trumpets in just a moment. We'll be back in just a moment to the Concordia Bible Institute podcast. In the meantime, I'd like to have you consider this question. What is most important in higher education? How do you prioritize all the knowledge to be gained at an institution of higher learning? Concordia University, Wisconsin, located on the shores of Lake Michigan in Mequon, Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee, is an institution that is committed to excellence in learning, but at the same time realizes that excellence in itself is insufficient without development in vocation. We believe that God works through our vocations, our callings, in order to serve the needs of those around us. The mission statement of Concordia University puts it this way, Concordia University, Wisconsin is a Lutheran higher education community committed to helping students develop in mind, body, and spirit for service to Christ in the church and the world. You can learn more about the over 70 programs offered at Concordia by visiting the website www.cuw.edu. And if you're benefiting from our Christ in Every Word podcasts, I encourage you to support this ministry by mentioning it to others and by offering your monetary support. Please consider supporting the Concordia Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on the Contribute page. And now, back to the podcast. Folks, we are back with our study of Revelation chapter 8. Fascinating chapter. We're getting into these seven trumpets now. It's an interesting little segue here, I think, in verse 6. The seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. I don't know why we're told that. It's like they're waiting. Um, does that highlight this the significance of prayer in this? Are they waiting for the prayers to be offered up, are they waiting for the command of the Son of Man or this other angel who stands in the stead of by the command of the Son of Man? Um, it almost waits. It almost kind of sounds like a Jericho sort of thing, Battle of Jericho. There's, well, there's silence there too. Nobody say a word, right? Until it's time to shout, and they do all that Seventh Day stuff. 
Um, it is interesting. They prepared to blow them. It's like it's like there's time almost before this happens. Um, it's like there's a they I, in the stead and by the command. So they wait. They're patient. They they're at the at the command of the Lord. I mean, it's, it just sounds like there's. And we're going to see later at the end of this chapter a kind of indication of some time uh, before the next thing happens. So maybe that's the point here too, is that the Lord is patient, not slow. Like some people count slowness as we read in what second Peter, but waiting for all to come to repentance. So anyway, the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. All right. First one blows. Oh, first things first, I guess you can kind of get the sense. These are very clearly modeled after the plagues in Egypt, they're alluding to the plagues. First angel blows his trumpet. There followed what? Hail and fire mixed with blood. Yikes. And these were thrown upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees, and all the green grass. Um, you'll notice in the plagues, it was what? We have 10 total plagues in Egypt. And even there in the plagues, what's happening, the Lord is putting to shame or executing judgments on all the gods of Egypt. So if there's a, I don't know, if there's a sun god and you have a plague of darkness, right, you're putting to shame the, the god of, um, the, the, sun, the sun god, the god of light. Uh, Egyptians also, we know, had a goddess of the sky. Maybe that's what's going on here in this first one. Whatever the case, it is the conviction or the thwarting or the judging of idolatrous stuff as the word goes forth. These trumpets are, again, an extension of the seals. This is what happens when the word goes forth. What happens? Well, judgment, this hail and fire mixed with blood is kind of a, earlier that blood was for the martyrs. And I wonder if there's kind of, there will be vengeance as my word goes forth upon the earth. And notice it's partial. That, that alone is, as you work through Revelation, you, you, you get these, what? In chapter 6, it's a fourth. In chapter 8, you see a third. You know, it's partial. It's not the full thing yet, but it will be as you get to the end of the book. And so that alone, this partial, like a third, a third, a third, um, is its own kind of indication of our Lord's patience, not, you know, just taking pleasure in destruction, but wanting all to come to the knowledge of the truth. Um, Jesus, I suppose, also had language of this earth burning up. I have a fire to be baptized with wood that it was, were already kindled. This fire of judgment, this fire uh, that our Lord spoke of um, as he goes to the cross, this is a similar kind of fire of judgment for those who want nothing to do with his work on the cross. The things of creation, earth, tree, Grass, you might think of those or um, what? The kind of trust in the things of this natural world to do for you what they cannot do for you. You ever heard this like crazy interest in, oh, you know, if we just if we just uh, harvest this particular thing, if we just mix this with that, if we just, we can grow this and we can do this naturally. And, oh, this, oh, this is so fascinating, these you know, these plants and the, the medicinal properties of the, you know, you ever, you ever kind of encounter this mentality of whatever it is, Mother Nature will, will save us. And this is putting to shame the kind of trust in the, the things of the natural world. I think the second trumpet is, 
is similar, only it's extended a little bit. The second trumpet is what? Something like a great mounting mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea became blood. A third of living creatures in the sea died. A third of the ships were destroyed. Later in the book, this, uh, this mountain being burning or being thrown into the sea. Boy, that alone sounds kind of like the Exodus, doesn't it? Thrown into the sea. The horse and the rider you've thrown into the sea. It'll be later for the kingdom of Babylon. It's totally... Any trust in this world in earthly kingdoms? Um, any trust? You get this mentioning of the ships that would have been representative of like the latest and greatest technological advancements, industries of the time. Any trust in technology, trust in the things, that, the inventions, the things of this world, that the latest and greatest things of this world, the kingdoms of this world, the structures of this world. Uh, will be totally torn down and all the souls connected to that. When you see the, the living creatures, literally it's the things, the, the, the things having souls, the things having life that connected to these things, totally put to shame. Again, as the word of the Lord goes forth, puts these idols to shame. Third one, similar, a great star from heaven burning like a, like a torch, like a lamp. It falls on the rivers, the springs of water. Its name is Wormwood. And uh, a third of the waters become this. Many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. This is a throwback, this Wormwood language. Um, This language of making bitter is in the prophets. It's in Jeremiah, for example. It's for the religious leaders who make bitter the things of the Lord. And... In Revelation, you've got the good water, the springs of living water, the water before God's throne connected to the Spirit, very baptismal. But then you also have bitter waters, the pseudo-waters, pseudo-baptism elsewhere in Revelation. This is judgment on those who have made bitter God's water. Judgment on those who have offered a different kind of baptism or a, a bitter baptism, offering water that is uh, wormwood that kills people. It's making bitter God's water. It's like uh, saying, here's a baptism that you have to earn or that you keep by earning it or something like that. It's making bitter God's waters of cleansing, forgiveness. Think forgiveness as well. It's the word of the Lord going forth and judging those who would turn forgiveness into something that you have to earn or baptism that you have to, you know, work for or uh, keep by working for it and so on. Wormwood, by the way, is in C.S. Lewis, Screwtape Lair. That's where he gets this from if you've... So it's even named, right, this Wormwood. Uh, And then finally for today, the fourth angel is what? A third of the sun was struck. Here, this sounds like Egypt, doesn't it? One of the plagues, a third of the moon, a third of the stars. Um so that a third of their light might be darkened, a third of the day might be kept from shining, likewise a third of the night. Um, this very much sounds kind of like the sixth seal, I guess. Uh, the darkness stuff. False gods are put to shame here. There's going to be darkness also. Of course, this is at the cross. This darkness, um, this kind of put to shame of what? Again, the sun god, Egypt. This darkness, this is kind of like a judgment on all false gods, all idolatry. As the word of the Lord goes forth, it strikes down all this, 
what pseudo light and gets us focusing only on on what the one who is the light of the world and then finally look at this i saw and i heard an eagle crying out with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead woe 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 to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets of the three angels that are about to blow i guess the first things first is that why do you even give a warning i mean that in and of itself is i think a merciful kind of thing like why not just keep going and yet there is this, whoa, 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 there's more coming. So, again, the Lord is not just, I just take pleasure in, you know, judging and destroying and so on. But this is this is actually a kind of warning that uh, he wants all to repent. The eagle itself is kind of a, well, what, in the Exodus, again, there's a lot of Sinai Exodus stuff going on. I bore you on eagle's wings. Um, you get that in Isaiah as well. The eagle is... I mean, throughout the, you think of passages that reference the eagle, some of them are much more on judgment, like the eagle, the vulture, it'll destroy you, it'll eat you up if you're disobedient. But at the same time, it's all this language of like, I've borne you on eagle's wings and uh, I've raised you up and you won't grow weary or grow faint. And uh, I suppose, I mean, it's both a law and a gospel, this eagle thing, there's a warning to it. But at the same time, there is gospel in that, uh, you know, let him bear you up, confess and and so on as this word goes forth. Uh, there's also, I suppose, our Lord talked what where the eagle is or where the corpse is, there the eagles will gather, the vulture will gather. Um, instead of running after this idolatrous stuff, chase after or gather around the corpse of our salvation, the crucifixion and resurrection of of our Lord. I love also, by the way, uh, you don't see it in English so much, but when it says, uh, at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow, literally it's, um, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa to the ones dwelling upon the earth from the, the sounds of the, the trumpet. It's singular, just one trumpet. And that is, that's the voice of the son of man. That's his word as these ministerial angels extend it, blast it, proclaim it um, throughout the church of all times and places. Great stuff. Uh, But if you forget everything else, just remember, this is the effect of the word of the Lord going forth. This is how he reigns in his word. It puts to shame all these false idols. And yet at the same time, he allows for uh, slowness, in order that all would come to repentance and uh, join in that throng of the previous chapter, singing praises world without end. Alrighty, that's uh, where we're going to call it for today, but stay tuned. We'll keep going with the other trumpets and uh, move along in our study of Revelation. The mission of the Concordia Bible Institute is to provide Christ-centered Bible instruction from distinguished experts who teach Christ in every word of the Old and New Testaments to strengthen faith and spread belief in the one true God. Again, if you benefit from this podcast series, I encourage you to consider supporting the Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org and clicking on our contribute page. Until next time, my friends, I'm Dr. Brian German, wishing you all God's blessings in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.